On this week's show, I have Lisa Donovan and Julie Belcher of Reverie Retreats. These retreats are the kind of trips that I want to take. Travel to the Loire Valley, take a French pastry lesson with an acclaimed baker, have a natural wine tasting, plenty of time to eat and relax, maybe make some new friends. You're going to learn how and why Julie and Lisa started this and how you can join them on one of these excursions. This is Chris, and you're listening to Chefs Without Restaurants, the show where I speak with culinary entrepreneurs and people working in the food and beverage industry outside of a traditional restaurant setting. If you're a longtime listener or have maybe explored the archives, you might have heard my conversation with Lisa Donovan a couple years ago. We talked about her pastry background, and at the time she had just released her memoir, Our Lady of Perpetual Hunger. But now she has something completely new cooking. With partner Julie Belcher, they're leading what I think are some of the most fun-sounding culinary retreats. Their upcoming trips include the French Riviera and, as I'd mentioned earlier, the Loire Valley. We talk about how they select the partners and purveyors they work with, natural wine, and not wanting to work in a professional restaurant kitchen. I also wanted to discuss their dynamic and what their working relationship looks like, how they balance their tasks and workflow, and just because, I had to talk to Lisa about pie crust. If this sounds like it's up your alley, stick around. And you've probably heard it from me a million times, but if you love this show, please share it. More listeners means the opportunity to have more guests and the guests that you want to hear. By the way, who do you want to hear on the show anyway? Let me know. DM me on Instagram at Chefs Without Restaurants or email me at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. And I try not to be too focused on being a numbers guy or huge milestones, but this is episode 199. Next episode is going to be the big 200. And I'm really excited for that. Uh, I went through the list of all the people I could reach out to and thought about who I wanted to have on the show, but I'm actually having my friend Justin Kana back on the show. Justin and I did a long conversation a couple years back on this show. I broke it up into two episodes. I recently recorded the episode. I think it's going to provide a lot of value. I hope it's fun to listen to. So keep a lookout for that. That's going to be episode 200 coming up really soon, hopefully next week. And this week's show will be coming right up after a word from this week's sponsor, the United States Personal Chef Association and Hire a Chef. Are you a personal chef looking for support and growth opportunities? Look no further than the United States Personal Chef Association. With nearly a thousand members across the U.S. and Canada, USPCA provides liability insurance, certification, lead generation, and more. Consumers can trust that their meal experience is insured and supported by USPCA. And now, for a limited time, save $75 on new membership and get your premier listing on Hire a Chef by using the code TAXBREAK2023 at USPCA.com. That's capital T, capital B. Plus, if you have products or services to sell chefs and their clients, showcase your business on Hire a Chef and USPCA websites with our great introductory packages. To learn more about membership, advertising, or partnership opportunities, call Angela at 1-800-995-2138, extension 705, or email A-P-R-A-T-H-E-R at USPCA.com. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the show today. Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you. I'm excited to have you. Lisa, good to see you. Have you back. I guess it was like two years ago uh, that you were first on the show. Yeah. So we're going to catch up and you're doing something completely different. Um, you know, last time you were here to talk about your book and your 
pastry history, but now you have a really cool endeavor. And Julie, so nice to meet you. Thanks for coming on the show. Great to meet you. I don't want to spend too much time on your backgrounds. Uh, For our listeners, Lisa was on the show maybe two years ago, and I'm going to link that show in the show notes. Um, I would just call her pastry chef extraordinaire uh, and author. So we will start there. Julie, can you give a little background on who you are, what you do as it relates to the food world for a little context? Sure. Um, About 10 years ago, I was working in a coffee shop and kind of became obsessed with pastry stuff at home, um, which is actually how I met Lisa via a friend of ours and started working in some restaurant kitchens kind of as a a stagiaire to a couple of pastry chefs, including Lisa, eventually, Mm -hmm. sort of, (laughs) or an assistant, and pretty quickly learned that I did not want to work in a restaurant kitchen. Um, It wasn't It wasn't for me, but I did really love the idea of working in a bakery. And so um, a few months after sort of starting in kitchens, I went to France for a while to learn how to bake from a baker named Richard Rouen in the Loire Valley. And I worked with him for a few months and then came back and had plans to open a bakery that didn't work out. Went back to France and ended up playing music there professionally for about five years and then also working at Richard's Bakery. So kind of had a roundabout relationship with professional food and kitchen and bakery world. But after living in France, I came back and started teaching baking classes in Nashville. So that was how I stayed connected and ended up selling bread during COVID. So we kind of have had a bit of a wild ride in the food world. (laughs) That's really cool. I've never even been to France. It's on my list. And maybe I'll I'll have to join one of your trips sometime. I wouldn't even know where to start going to France. So it's on the bucket list. And and music, you were a a musician for a number of years. It's quite a divergent path. It it very much was. um, I've played music my whole life, Um, played piano growing up. And I was in France, kind of thinking I'm doing some R&D for opening a bakery here. And I was on a vacation and some friends of mine connected me to a musician there and eventually ended up moving there to play with that person. I was playing kids music originally, which was awesome. That's like the ticket in the music. You doing kids music? Yeah, you don't go to bed late. I've heard that the... um. Do you know the presence of the United States of America who did the song Peaches and all that? Did you know that he's like a kid's musician now? I heard him on a podcast. He decided he was over touring the country and not being around his family. I think his name's like Casper Baby Pants or something. And he decided he wasn't going to tour. He lives in Seattle and he just wants to do like kids shows. He said, I want to be home in bed with my wife every night and spend time with my kids. And I'm just going to jam and play like music for kids. And it's been a super lucrative career compared to being like an alt rock you know so weird who knew swallow your pride and then you have the best music career ever and i think about rafi he's like a national treasure so (laughs) what's the equivalent of that as a chef because i tried doing cooking classes for kids and that was not my jam at all i tried that a couple of times as well it can be fun you have to be very comfortable with mess and uh, a loss of like um 
instruction. <laughs> yes. Well, and and I think just cooking instruction is something that it's its own thing. And, you know, that's something I want to talk to you about because that is part of what you're doing now. I mean, I love cooking. I love teaching people how to cook in the context of like working in a kitchen, teaching other professionals. But I've never really been drawn to like having a kitchen where people come and teach them how to cook. But I know both of you do that. Uh, but before we get into that, let's just jump in. What is this new exciting business that the two of you have started together? Go ahead. <laughs> um, we started Reverie, which is... Um... <laughs> Well, so we, you know, I was doing a lot of going back to sort of the workshopping and the classes. I was doing a lot of that after I left restaurants. And, you know, something Julie and I had in common is that we both, me much later, you know, is about, you know, 15 years into my career um, when I decided I didn't want to work in restaurant kitchens anymore. But that was sort of a pivotal point for both of us. And I started doing a lot of workshopping around the country and teaching classes around the country and doing private events and doing a lot of things that were, you know, in private homes or with artists like Emily Leonard. I would travel with them. I did a couple of uh, retreats with her and then also was doing some with my friend who's a yoga instructor. We went to Costa Rica and then we had talked about doing some things around here in Nashville. So this model of like, Finding a way to connect with people in the kitchen versus, you know, sort of having this high profile career where I don't ever actually get to see people engage with the food <laughs> that was not interesting to me at all. And I really wanted to, I don't think I ever really had designs to be a teacher necessarily, but what was interesting to me that was also interesting to Julie was sort of the having those moments of like connectivity with people over food beyond just sitting down to a meal with them, which was sort of always my impulse was like getting people to a table, making them share food, you know, really, you know, having this experience, which is what Better Milk Road was of sitting with strangers in your hometown and sharing a meal and and imbibing and, and having an experience that we, you would normally only have with, you know, your closest friends. That idea sort of moved into like a kitchen was really appealing to me because a couple of things that happened, I think, in the restaurant world and to me just personally was I started to feel really disconnected to why I was cooking. Um, and I feel like people, guests, lay people who aren't professional chefs started feeling really intimidated by cooking. All of a sudden, there were all of these celebrity chefs to sort of, you know, be intimidated by. And um, so I had this sort of, like, you know, urge to find ways to be you know, to kind of foster that connectivity and sort of easiness over food again. Um, and the all that, while that was happening, um, I was doing a lot of little workshops here and there where, you know, when Julie was back in the States, she would come work with me and we worked, you know, we realized and remembered that we worked really, really well together. Um, and we did a couple of Emily Leonard's workshops together, um, which were painting retreats. And we did one in France together, and then we did one in New Mexico together. And there was such a strong interest from the guests of these retreats, who were all artists, to be in the kitchen with us. And um, we enjoyed it. And we were, you know, we we were finding our own rhythms, working together as as bakers and cooks, and and it just sort of pieces just started kind of falling into place. So. 
Um, we created the model for Reverie in like 2019. We started thinking about where we wanted to bring people to cup. We sold out uh, the Toulouse retreat and the Loire Valley retreat at, um, in 2020. And, <laughs> yeah. No, well, in 2020, we sold them out. We had to cancel them. Remember? Oh, not a lot. It was just to lose. Yeah, it was just to lose. Yeah, it was just to lose in 2020. It's been a blur. It's been like a weird three years. We ended up selling our first round of these in 2020, selling them out, and then uh, having to cancel, and then hoping that people would be interested whenever we resurfaced, and we resurfaced in 2022, out of the Loire Valley, sold out to lose in Loire Valley. Nope, just to lose. No. Yeah, both. See, I can't remember. And now we're in the thick of 2023. And we're adding more as we go. And there's, we can we can get into that later. But that's kind of how it all happened. That sounds like a big endeavor, though. Like, it, it seems hard enough to put together one of these in your own town, but to like, or even somewhere in the States, but to take it international and like scope out all these places. So people go on these retreats, they're going to learn some cooking from you. But it's also this experience where you're kind of curating a travel trip, right? Where you're taking them to all these interesting places and their activities and stuff. And and that's got to be a whole other challenge. Like, have you been to all the places previously? So you have a good idea? Or are you doing just like intensive research? We have, uh, there's a lot of research that goes into it. The trip that we do in the Loire Valley is where I lived for several years. And so that one comes together very naturally. Um, just contacts that I have there from whenever and then friends of friends. Um, the other trips, Toulouse is a place we had both cooked together there uh, back in 2018. And then I had been there a few other times just on vacation. I kind of fell in love with the region. I want to live there. And Normandy, we've also both both traveled to. The Riviera, we've been to together now. It's a lot of planning and a lot of, you know, talking to a bunch of different people to make the perfect experience come together. But I am fluent in French, which is helpful in France. We'll be expanding outside of France. And so we'll be counting on different people who are coming with us to sort of have the in and understand how things work in the new places that we're going. But yeah, I think to, to go back to your original question of like, what is reverie and what are we doing? Essentially we're curating these trips. And I think one way that someone we know put it (laughs) is that anybody can go to these places. Anybody can kind of, hire a tour guide or look up what's best to do on um, TripAdvisor or whatever. But with Reverie, we show you how to be in these places and like really soak it all in. And the way that we do that is through food. But we also just kind of like to dive into the culture wherever we are. Um, We're trying to build, you know, we, we, Loire is a little easier because Julie has a life, you know, previous life there um, in Toulouse. We know this will be our second time going to Toulouse this year. Um, as we're repeating these trips, we're building relationships with the communities there and the chefs there and the producers there and the winemakers there. And those are the kinds of things that are going to continue to like enrich these experiences. You know, I, I think 
the French won't mind me saying, they kind of are a skeptical bunch, right? Like they aren't they aren't going to jump into sort of anything very quickly, and they like to see things. At least the people we're enacting in, in or engaging with, but like as they learn what we're about, they are welcoming us into more and more spaces. And there's like a a, a real uh, quality of relationship that we're trying to foster instead of just seeing what we can squeeze out of a place and hit the road, you know? So that feels really important to how we're trying to bring people over. It feels really important to us to make sure that we're contributing to the places that we're going, not just in, you know, tourism dollars, but also in enrichment and relationship building. Well, you know, as, as I get older, um, you know, I'm more interested in having the experience, right? Like, if I were to go to France, which I've never been, like, I would probably go to like Paris and see the Eiffel Tower and go to the Louvre and all that bullshit, right? Like the touristy stuff, but that's not actually how I want to travel. And it seems like these are a very different kind of experience. You're not just going on TripAdvisor and saying, what are the top 20 sites to see in Paris and eat at all the hot restaurants? This is a very different type of trip. And I'm sure it appeals to a specific type of person who wants to be in that experience as opposed to just like that very touristy type thing. Yeah, there's a big difference uh, in my mind um, between being a traveler and a tourist. And I thought I was really original when I th- first thought of that, but I think there's actually a near Denny Bourdain quote around it. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, it does feel very different. I, you know, I just recently went to New Orleans with my mom and she wanted to do a bunch of things that are very tourist based. And I've been going to New Orleans for the last 25 years. And I feel like I have a very special relationship with it. And I had never once been to the things that my mom wanted to do. And so it was an interesting difference between, you know, I mean, frankly, it felt a little miserable. (laughs) My mom doesn't listen to this, but like going to Harris is not really how I want to travel, you know, but like, it was fun for a day. And I think that can be fun. But I travel you know, I, I try to I try to just sort of be in the space as someone who lives there. And um, that feels like what a lot of people are maybe looking for these days, too. You know, they, they kind of want to go somewhere and, I don't know, actually be in a space instead of just see the space. Oh, yeah. I just went to the UK last fall with my family and um, our favorite place, we were in Wales. And, you know, just being in this like small town and just like, walking downtown and going to a random restaurant. And, you know, we went to London and London was our least favorite of all of our UK trip. We really loved like being in the Welsh countryside and not having this super packed agenda, just kind of like taking it all in and this slow way of life and like wandering into a cafe and wandering around and just kind of like being with the people. We got to London, just like, this is like a total hot mess. And we had been to London before and we wanted to show our kids all the sights, but it was our least favorite part of that trip. I was much more interested in just that kind of laid back, more lifestyle trip than than the touristy thing. Hmm. Do you have a typical um, customer? Like who are booking these trips? It's surprisingly all over. Um, I mean, the ages range from, I think our youngest was maybe 22 and our oldest customer is something like 80 years old um, and then everything in between. So that's been really lovely to not just have one type of person on one of these trips. And there's people now from all over the U.S. and from different backgrounds. We 
try to make it possible. I mean, the the trips cost a certain price. It's not going to be for everyone, but there might be people who are, for example, in the service industry and don't just have like a chunk of cash necessary in their account. But we try to work with people to set up payment plans when possible so that anyone can come on this trip who really wants to. Yeah, I looked at the pricing and it's reasonable. I mean, it's never going to be inexpensive to travel. I mean, once you get into all the flights and and lodging and stuff, when you try and cobble together your own trips, it's going to be expensive having done this not too long ago. So it's definitely on par with, you know, what it would take to put this together yourself. I I don't think people think in all those little costs. You, You think about the flight and maybe like a train and the lodging, you think, oh, it costs this. But then by the time you're done with all the meals, all the day-to-day stuff you do, you're tacking on literally thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is if you come on one of our trips, everything is included for that week. Your room, all your meals, all your drinks, all of the workshops. And yeah, if you were trying to plan this on your own, I do think it would come out. Yeah. You just got to get there. You know, you just got to get to the airport and then we get we get you we get you from there and and take care of you for the week. What are some of the workshops and things that people do on these trips? So Julie and I each do, um, we do heavy baking focus. Um, We'll have some guest chefs. We'll have a very heavy guest chef, very exciting heavy guest chef docket next year. And those will look a little different. There will probably be an integration of some, uh, you know, some different things that are more savory based, a little butchery, some, you know, uh, taking apart fish and that kind of stuff. Um, we each sort of uh, stay in our, you know, I, I, I try to hard focus on some regional, you know, like Normandy avails itself to the really beautiful shortbreads and things like that. So we'll probably do a little bit of those things when we're in, uh, you know, I'm sure there will be a lot of apple tarts being made. So I try to sort of do a little deep dive into um, the pastries of the region. Um, Julie does really beautiful uh, naturally leavened sourdough breads. And teaches them how to do their own breads. And Does that mean you have to carry a starter with you? <laughs> I do carry a starter. I just uh, dehydrated it, De- dehydrate it, so that um, yeah, it's easier to transport. And the the I think the best part of these, as far as cooking experiences go, is that we have an open kitchen all week. Um, and so every evening we, you know, when the when we're at the chateau, we have these really beautiful, you know, family style meals that we all sit down to together, full of wine and you know, family style courses and dessert. That is an opportunity because I'll be in the kitchen cooking, and sometimes they'll be doing wine tastings. With, you know, sometimes they'll have other things going on on their schedules, but at any point in the week. If someone's in the kitchen cooking, the guests are welcome to come in. They can bring their knife wraps. They can, you know, they can come empty handed. There will be tools on site. Like they can come in and, you know, just pick herbs or learn how to make a roux or learn, you know, whatever it is that's happening in the kitchen at any point in time. And what ends up happening later throughout the week is people start to get more comfortable. And all of a sudden we have a full kitchen full of people all cooking together, which is pretty special. How long does it take people to kind of bond with each other? You, you know, because being around strangers, um, I'm sure there's like a level of comfort that has to be gained over time, depending on how you are. I mean, introverts versus extroverts and all that. But do you see people coming together pretty quickly? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like by 
by the second day, people have already like made their new friends and they want to sit next to each other at the dinner table. And by the end of the week, everyone's just cracking jokes at each other. I feel like we should have like the awards. We should. That would be like the superlative. Yeah. Uh, I mean, wine is a great social lubricant. You know, we're in spray on. <laughs> we we drink a lot of beautiful natural wines from if we can find them from the region, which we typically can. Um, you know, it's and food food is the great unifier. Typically, you know, like people don't want to. You know, there doesn't take much time over a you know, copper van to get to know somebody. <laughs> That's the hope. That's what we like to see in the hospitality industry. I did, you know, I work as a private chef. I did a dinner this weekend. Hopefully they're not listening to us. Uh, it was a family dinner and a fight broke out and people actually left in the middle of dinner. We had like this awkward, like 45 minutes in between courses where they were screaming in another language. And I'm just awkwardly in the kitchen, like, okay, this is kind of uncomfortable. I, I don't know if there's going to be a physical fight and then people storming out in the middle of dinner. But uh, usually it's a good time when people get together and eat. But fam- families is a whole nother dynamic, right? Family meals are very different. <laughs> it's other dynamic. <laughs> How's working together been for you? Because, you know, it could sometimes be challenging, especially depending on what your backgrounds and experiences are. Even friends. I've worked with friends, whether it be a short period of time or for longer. So what's that dynamic been like? And have there been any challenges? Like, how do you play to each other's strengths and weaknesses? Well, we are friends, which is helpful. Um, I think for me, the biggest challenge was because uh, I've in the past, I've always like hired Julie to be my assistant. And it wasn't difficult, but you know, it's like learning how to let go of the responsibilities that I've taken on by myself for so long um, in the kitchen primarily because she runs this entire thing behind the scenes. <laughs> I can't take any credit for like the actual infrastructure of this business behind the scenes. Um, but just as far as like learning how to have someone that I can trust in the kitchen was really difficult because pastry chefs are notoriously lone wolves. So like my space is very much my space. So it was just difficult for me to think. And I messed up her space a couple of times and I got, (laughs) (laughs) which rightfully so. And I also have a less experience in a professional kitchen and B have been away from it for longer. And so on our first trip last year where I was coming back in and kind of relearning what that space is like, Lisa kind of had to redirect me a little bit. <laughs> but um I will say as far as us working together goes, it's like a match made in heaven. Um which is we did we didn't know how it was gonna We've been learning this as we go, and uh, I think we're really well-balanced, and it is true that like I end up taking on a lot of the administrative parts of the business, but it's also one of my strong suits, and it kind of just naturally makes sense, and it's not like Lisa takes advantage of that. She's always like, what can I do? Give me more, and then I kind of have that lone wolf syndrome as well, where I'm like, Nothing, I got it. <laughs> Stay away from my emails. Kind of touch. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then Lisa is a lot better at thinking of the big picture. It's not 
that's not how my brand works. I just see what's in front of me. But Lisa's like, what if we did this? And let's be doing this in five years. And I'm like, I'm talking like five days from now. So I think we're really well balanced in that way. And Lisa also, because of her career, has millions of connections in the food world. And that's going to be able to, you know, push us forward as far as bringing in guest chefs. So yeah, it's a pretty good, it's, it's pretty sweet. It sometimes takes a while to like find your groove. You know, I, I work by myself now. I did a pop-up a couple of weeks ago where I collaborated with my friend Matt, who I'm sure is listening to this. And similarly, he's a personal chef and we're both used to having the kitchen to ourselves. And there was some anxiety about we're both trying to find space to plate. And it was just kind of overwhelming because both of us are used to being working solo, taking the lead, having our space. And now we have to share and figure out that dynamic. And it was the first time we had ever worked together. And it's like, you know, I think if we did this again, we would figure out our grooves because it's a totally different thing. If you're not used to working with people, um, it can really throw you off a little bit and takes you a while. But you've been doing this a little bit now. So I'm sure you found your groove. Knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> How many of these events are you looking to do in a year? Like big picture or just? Yeah. A- yeah. I mean, ideally, what does this look like? Like how how long does it take? to plan one of these trips? And then how many do you realistically think um, if you're having a good year and, you know, everything's going the way you want, how many do you hope to be doing? I don't know. And Julie can say if you disagree. I don't know that we necessarily have a number in mind. I think what we're trying to do is gracefully grow and maintain a brand identity that we feel really uh confident in and comfortable with neither one of us are very comfortable like with big uh uh, i'm not even sure like we want to be successful obviously and we want this to grow um but i think we are at this point more concerned about making sure that we keep uh, a culture of these workshops that feels good and invite the guests that understand what we're trying to do and pre, you know, maintain, we're really trying to maintain this bubble of like joy and happiness and like true, like we're both so tired of just everything's hard. <laughs> it's so hard. Spoken like someone who's been in the industry for a number of years. Yeah. It, it, and, and, and I think we're both just sort of trying to insist that there can be beauty and joy. And as long as we can maintain that, that in each, workshop or retreat, then we'll do as many as we can. But this also isn't like your sole business, sole form of income, correct? Because I I think that's like different when like you have this thing that like you're trying to make all your money on. You do both do other things for work, right? We definitely have to sort of supplement for now. Ideally, and, and as we add more retreats, for example, next year, we're going to have six, at least six retreats. And we're also going to be opening up to private retreat opportunities. And so to answer your question about how long it takes to plan one of these, um, a long time. It's um, it's a lot of, you know, starting with booking the place where we're going to be staying. You have to start that way ahead of time and then figuring out where we're going to eat, how we're going to travel, uh, we have to go and, you know, vet the chateaus and the villas. We have to go check them out, make sure that they're what we need, especially the kitchens. Uh-huh. There's there's a lot of little details, as you would imagine. So so all that to say, it is going to eventually be a full-time job 
where we won't be able, we won't have the time to be doing other things. And if we have more retreats when the company's, you know, bringing in more and hopefully that can cover our, <laughs> yeah. And even some employees, you know, to help us sort of continue to grow. So, yeah. And talking about that, who are the first people that you think are important to hire? Because that's something I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs about, you know, we start a business as a solopreneur or a partnership and you wait a while to hire someone. So for you, what do those first people do when you hire them? Like if you had the money, let's say, and you're ready to hire someone tomorrow, who would you be hiring? What we really need is another one of us. <laughs> a jack of all trades. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a sense, it's it's a tricky thing to find the person that we really need. We need our first person in mind is somebody who can come and be an assistant in the kitchen and more than an assistant, someone who can sort of run the kitchen when we're not there and prep meals for 20 people so that we can be present with our guests. And we are hoping to find that as soon as next year. And it's a tricky thing to find because, for example, next year we'll have three trips in a row, but that means we're in Europe for about six weeks and finding somebody who can just come to Europe for six weeks and then go back home and, yeah. you know. Ooh, I'll volunteer. <laughs> yeah, it's not so bad. Um, but yeah, and then we also need help with the day-to-day. So we're hoping to find someone who, similarly to us, is ready to do those trips and also kind of be working on this throughout the year. Do you stay in contact with the people who've been on these trips? Like, are they like newfound friends? Yeah, we have a reunion party on Saturday with um, the people from our first trip. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's fun. Where's the party? That one of the guests home. Really? Had a bunch of wine ready and we're all bringing food and we're going to have a good time. I think people are coming in from out of town. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Like I saw people on the text exchange. I think there's some people coming in from. Well, that's fun. Yeah. So how do you find the local people that you want to work, like the wineries? Like, like, do you already have a set idea when you're picking a location who you want to use? Like, what does that vetting process look like? Because I'm sure that's really important to like find the people who kind of match with your um, aesthetic and mindset. Like, is that a lot of work to find the the local producers, purveyors? Yeah, I'm, it truly knows a lot about wine. It's uh, I feel really confident and like, her knowledge of wine. I like wine. I enjoy learning about wine. I don't have like a huge, you know, I just end up, it ends up getting forked for me a lot and I drink it. Um, and I try to sort of retain the information, but she has like a really good working knowledge. So I think she kind of starts there. Yeah. More than, and well, we try to focus on natural wines, um, more than anything because that's what we love and what we find exciting. Um, and when I'm looking for wineries to visit or winemakers to maybe come to where we're staying to do a tasting, there's actually an app called Raisin. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but I have not. It's called like the Raisin Natural Wine app. And it's very cool for travelers who might like natural wine because there's um, there are maps on there of all of the restaurants and wine shops and wine bars that serve natural wine. Um, so you can just look at the map and find a good place to eat and drink. 
And then there's also a second map that has all of the producers, at least most of them, who produce natural wine all over the world. And so um, that's a great place to look at to kind of get in contact with people, whether it's me looking for someone to work with or if you're traveling and want to go visit some wineries, then you can see where the natural wineries are and get in touch with the makers. I don't know a lot about that, but I just had some um, chefs who have a cookbook coming out. They're from Montreal and they actually have like a natural wine bar. So we talked a little more about natural wines. It's not something I've ever really explored, but I'm really interested in. I'm not really knowledgeable about wine in general at all. Like you, Lisa, I like to drink wine and I much prefer to just talk to someone who knows what they're talking about and have them pour me something delicious. So I'm in the process of exploring more on natural wines. It's a fun world. It's really something. It's uh, and the 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 producers are you know really warm and welcoming. Uh, you know, we we end up going to uh, the Loire every single year. Well, every this is our second year, but we end up hitting it right at harvest time, which is an interesting time because they're both very busy and typically it's really impossible to make connections with them during harvest time. We still get, you know, last year we had a woman come from, was Terre d'Alue? Terre de Lille. My French is also very bad. Her name is Charlotte Chasson. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she's invited us to the vineyard for this year, which is really, really wonderful. So that's kind of also like another way that these relationships grow over time. But getting to know them and getting to see their vineyards and getting to see their processes is something that we're really, was really exciting, you know, and especially for people who don't actually retain information about wine. I'm learning, you know, now I'm actually seeing it and retaining information and retaining names and retaining uh, a little bit more than just a working regional knowledge, which I have. Um, But remembering vineyards is something that I've always been a little weak about, but now I'm starting to really, you know, gather information and remember who did what and how and what their processes are and how they're different, you know, from one vineyard to another. It's really fascinating. When I think the in-person kind of experiential helps with that, like if I were to just read or be told something, and I think that's what's really cool about your retreats is that hands-on immersive experience. I think you're more apt to retain that information. And something also that I think is really helpful is having someone is, you know, Julie's so fluent in both the language in France and also the culture of France and knowing how to communicate with people, especially in a, in a place as culturally rich and sort of established as France is knowing how to move through these spaces feels really like a such a luxury to have with Julie, you know, like oh, really does. Like she's very good at it. And She's incredibly charming. And so it's very easy to, you know, make these relationships, you know, even even as, you know, someone that has a lot of chef connections and food industry connections, like I feel like I'm getting a glimpse into France that I never could have gotten without Julie. Takes a long time with those guys. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't speak French at all. I, I can maybe navigate a menu if you handed it to me in French. Like, I love going to Montreal. Thank God they speak English there. Uh, and not even begrudgingly, they seem to genuinely be okay with me not understanding French. But yeah, I feel like I would totally be lost. And that's something I've heard is like, if you go as a tourist to France and don't know French, like you're going to have a hard time and they don't really love that. I think that's kind of 
in the past. I mean, you can still run into grumpy people, but generally, if you're in a city in France, and even in smaller, like, places outside of big cities, I feel like most people are going to be okay with the fact that you're there, if, if not delighted to see you. So, so I shouldn't be scared. I wouldn't be scared. I mean, you might run into some gripey people, but I just yeah. can't take it personally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, what I've noticed as someone who does not have fluent, fluent French, but is getting better and better each time with my comprehension, is that in Paris, it's better if you just speak English. In the countryside, we French people will tolerate you trying to speak French a little bit more graciously than in Paris. That's been my experience. But um, but also, I think just go and, you know, take it for a grain of salt. and <laughs> Don't let it stop you from seeing the world. No. And, and, and yeah. And there's no reason to be intimidated. Now, are your um, workshops and the foods you're preparing, are they leaning more towards the classical versus the modern? You know, because in cooking right now, there's so many like dishes of the moment, things of the moment. But I feel like in France, this would be very much like classical techniques, traditional recipes. Am I wrong? Like, <laughs> No, we were talking with one of our chefs yesterday, and he is someone, uh, he's going to be a guest chef next year. And he is someone that dabbles in, you know, very uh, modernist technique. But we were getting really excited about just talking about peasant food and this is the way you know this is the food people want to learn how to cook you know people want to learn how to what to do with a whole chicken you know honest from a sunday to a friday and a big part of what we offer with reverie or what we want people to go home with is recipes that they feel comfortable replicating in their own kitchen so if we're using a paco jet for example, right. no one's going to have a Paco Jet at home. Right. Most people won't. Um, so we want to show them the techniques and the recipes that they can go home and make for a dinner party and feel completely confident. The goal is like to take the intimidation factor out yeah. of cooking um, and remind people that this is, you know, one of the most basic acts that we have as human people have been cooking since the dawn of time like just meat over fire right like we don't need to overcomplicate it and here's how to make it taste good and here's you know and it's and it's by and large typically about knowing what your ingredients can and can and should and shouldn't do and that's those are the conversations that happen during an open kitchen session you know of you know here's why for this particular dish you want to take this fat cap off and otherwise you would leave it on. You know, there's there's room to have those conversations when everyone's drinking wine in the kitchen cooking dinner for 20 people. What haven't we talked about with your business? Like, what do you want everyone to know? This is your time to, like, get it all out there. We could talk about next year. Next year. I would love to hear about next year. Well, well, well. We've got some exciting things planned. Um, let's see. <laughs> Where to begin? Um, we will next year be returning to France. So we're kind of in, in the midst of solidifying all of our plans for 2024. Um, we will be going back to France to the Toulouse location as well as the Loire Valley location. 
those are both for sure. And um, we're bringing in some guest chefs. So we will have a couple of retreats where it's just just the OG pair. Maybe maybe a little uh, friend will join us for those TBD. Um, but in the Hulu Chateau, we're going to be bringing in Erin McDowell. You can talk about her. I mean, she's the pie goddess. You know, I mean, she's remarkable and she's larger than life and brilliant and beautiful and bright. And I can't wait to be in the kitchen with her. So she's going to be doing a lot. Uh, you know, she's going to have a week in the lose. Yeah, she's she's got a bunch of French pastry techniques up her sleeve and can't wait to kind of branch out of like, I think what she traditionally does in her workshops here, which tend to be very pie based, you know, she's in the She's in the pie mind um, here because she does it so beautifully. Um, so she's excited about being in France and and doing a bunch of uh, and she's a remarkable workshop teacher. Like I don't know if you've ever caught any of her stuff, even just on Instagram. She's just her engagement is super lovely and warm, and uh, I'm just really happy to be uh, going to France with her for a week. It's gonna be great. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, and then in the Loire Valley, there will be also a week with Lisa and I. And then for the second week that we're there, we are bringing on Tara Jensen, who is a, an incredible sourdough baker. Um, and she works in wood-fired ovens. Her Instagram is Baker Hands, um, and she's kind of been a teacher for a lot of sourdough bakers. I know, especially during COVID, that she was putting some sort of video workshops workshops up to help people learn how to bake um we're gonna do a lot of open fire yeah we're gonna bring in some wood fired ovens so she'll be showing us how to kind of do that all week keep the fire going using it at different temperatures for different things and i'm very excited i have a crazy idea that i want to do like a pit oven sort of situation but i gotta see with the property owners <laughs> How they feel I just it. dig a big hole. Can I dig a big hole in your backyard? I can fill it back up with sand. It'll be like it never happened. <laughs> Could you do pastries in a pit? Like, would that be crazy to like try and do like classical things that are not bread baking, but like pastries in a, a pit like that? Probably not, but you know, it wouldn't hurt to try. Give it a shot. <laughs> if you're going to dig a hole in their yard, you need to try. We'll figure out something. There's lots of things that we can mess around with. And if they fail, you fail. Just a lesson. Well, this sounds like a lot of fun. I hope uh, people listening out there decide to join you on your trips. Well, we're not done. <laughs> You're not done. Just blah. You just. Okay. Okay. So we're also going to. <laughs> That'll sound really good. <laughs> um, we're going to Ireland with Trevor Moran from Locust in Nashville. When is that going to be? We're slow leaking the dates and stuff because we're still locking everything down but we have our chefs we have our locations uh locked down and then the fourth chef that we have confirmed and the fourth location we have confirmed is uh nina compton will be taking us to saint lucia Ooh, that sounds like a fun trip too yeah well island time you know yeah so we're branching out. So we've got the six planned for next year. Um, we've got four remarkable guest chefs that are joining us. Um, and that's 
in addition to Melissa Martin joining us in the Riviera this this fall, she's officially like our first guest chef, and she's going to help us figure out how it moves best because she's really good at logistics, and she's also just an amazing human and chef. Yeah, so this is the thing that we're really knee-deep in right now is locking all this down for 2024. And, you know, we, we are going to get these um, spring retreats underway. We're going to Normandy and Toulouse in just under two months. And so we, we've been, we're going to kind of get those locked down. And then we're going to start um, come summer and fall. We're going to be um, able to announce these guest chefs and start selling some tickets for 2024. How many people can you do max on one of your trips? It depends on where we're staying, the size of the accommodation. Yeah. But in some of the bigger places, we try to max out at like 18. Um, and I don't think we'll ever go beyond that unless it really feels like it would be okay. You should start leading those like high school field trips, you know, like in high schools, they go to foreign countries. I think you should like tackle that at one point once you get your footing, you know, instead of. Yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> I think I want to take a bunch of 17 year olds. Uh, <laughs> I've heard some horror stories. I am kind of hoping like that when my kids get into high school, I get to chaperone a trip. But I've also heard some not great stories about like you just spend your whole time trying to prevent a bunch of 17 year olds from drinking. Probably, <laughs> yeah. Well, any final words for our audience before we get out of here today? We still have some tickets available for our Loire Valley trip in 2023. If anyone is just itching to get over there with us, it's going to be a very good time. And you can find the information on reverieforever.com. The magic of this is I can both edit and put the proper link in the show notes. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Yeah, so join us. We're we like cooking and we're nice people. We're good. <laughs> I still use your pie dough recipe, Lisa, is like the only pie dough recipe I use. It's so hard. Like, and that's a whole nother thing. Like, I love pies. I want to make better pies, and I feel like my crust is always crap. For me, it's more like the rolling and getting it in the pan, the right shape and and all that. But like there's a million recipes and they're all different. It's like do you chill the dough? Do you grate the dough? Do you mash it in? Do you use vodka, ice water? Like, I don't know. It's like at one point I just needed to find a recipe. So I found one of your recipes. I don't even know where, like six or seven years ago. It's the only pie recipe I use. And I think it, it, it does a pretty good job for me. Just thought I'd let you know. Just pretty good? It does a really great job. It does a really great job. <laughs> I have not wanted to find another pie dough recipe. Stroke. How's that? Thing, thing, thing. It wasn't life-changing or... <laughs> well, you know, I don't make it enough to say that it's life-changing because I just feel like it's a, a task. I want to get to the point where I love I love eating pie, but I'm always just like, am I going to tackle pie crust? Like, I know how shitty, like, pre-made frozen pie dough is. So, like, I've just got to do this. I just don't make pie enough. That's the bottom line. I, you know, I just recently, just yesterday, read a blurb for Rose Wilde's book is coming out. It's going to be beautiful, by the way. You guys are listening. Uh, buy Rose Wilde's new baking book. It's going to be really beautiful. But she does this really beautiful thing in the book where she's just talking about how to know your ingredients. Because I say that a lot. Like, you just got to know what this does. And then I talk through what each ingredient is if I have the time with people. But she does a really beautiful thing of like how to like tactile, touch something, feel something, taste something. And when I was writing the blurb, what kind of came out was like baking gets a bad rap 
because everyone's like, it's so rigid and scientific and there's no room and there's actually a ton of room. You just have to have a little devotion, I think is the word, not to be like too much of a poet about baking, but like really it's about like paying attention and devotion and like practice. So yeah, the more you do your pie crust, the more you're going to like be able to just breeze it out and know exactly what's wrong or what's right with it in any given moment. So just make pie every day. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I had a friend who was on the podcast and he does sourdough baking and he said, you know, the challenge that he sees is like people find a bread recipe, they make it, it didn't come out the way they want. And then they go to another recipe and they really should just like take that recipe and make it again. It's the repetition, like take good notes. Like what didn't you like? Can I adjust the hydration? Do I adjust this? Like stop bouncing around finding new recipes. Like just find a recipe from someone you respect and you think it's going to be a good one and just keep doing that. I think for me, the baking challenge is like you don't repeat it as much as you would if you were a savory chef. Like if I were working in a restaurant and I'm making crab cakes or steak or whatever, you're making them every single night and you can make minuscule changes. But with me, with baking, it's like I make a pie and then it's like three months before I make a pie again, you know? In large for a crab cake, you know, I mean, the meat might be a little different each time, but your variables aren't really going to change. But with baking, man, like it depends on literally what the weather is that day. It depends on the water quality of where you're at. It depends on the butter, you know, butter changes from country to country. Why state. does baking have to be so extra? It's just, yeah, <laughs> just, you know, it's what makes it so special. <laughs> Well, thanks again for coming on the show. As always, I will link everything in the show notes. People will know where to find you, how to book these trips. They'll find more about you and everything. And uh, yeah, I loved having you on the show today. Nice to see you again, Chris. Nice to see you. you. Thanks for having us. And to all of our listeners, this has been Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. Thanks so much and have a great day. Go to chefswithoutrestaurants.org to find our Facebook group, mailing list, and chef database. The community is free to join. You'll get gig opportunities, advice on building and growing your business, and you'll never miss an episode of our podcast. Have a great week.